Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this week's performance of My Favourite Flop. At this time, we ask that you turn up the volume on all cell phones, laptops, and car stereos as loud as possible. Also, as a reminder, please refrain from any photography of this performance, as it is prohibited by law, and this is a podcast, so it would be fruitless. Speaking of fruit, snacks are permitted and frankly encouraged during this performance. The louder the rapper, the better. We can't hear you. That's how podcasts work. Please be advised that this production could contain Broadway shows with overall financial losses, those with less than 250 performances, some that had no national tour after their initial Broadway engagement, and Broadway shows that never actually opened on Broadway. In the unlikely event of a podcast emergency, please take a moment to locate the exit nearest to you. If you are listening on the John, please make sure you flush. And now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome back! Woohoo! Welcome to episode three. Episode of my favorite flop. I can't believe we're on episode three already. I'm it, so excited. It feels like we were talking about Team Ivy like yesterday. I know, right? Well, right, well just in case you forgot. Yeah, in case you forgot, this is my favorite flop. We talk about uh, Broadway's fabulous failures and musical misfits. I'm Bobby Traversa, your makeshift musical theater historian. And I'm Christina Miller-Weston. What's up? All right. So, Christina, it is February now. Uh, we are still in the middle of a global pandemic, uh, though there are some vaccines that have been going out. So we're, we're working on it. The world Hopefully is... we'll be back in the theater soon, friends. I mean, people are saying July, knock on wood. I'm not going to knock on anything because of the microphone, but um, <laughs> knock on wood. But I think it might be a little bit later, but I think maybe this year, maybe, maybe later this year, it'll actually happen. All my limbs are crossed. So, Bobby, what <laughs> what have you been listening to this week? Anything exciting? I don't know if you're ready to hear this, but I have been listening to drum roll, please. I finally listened to six. You're... Yay! Yay! I did it. I specifically did it because you texted me and you're like, did you listen to it yet? And I said, I am right now. And I did. And how do we feel? Uh, I enjoyed it. I don't know if it's my favorite musical ever invented, but I enjoyed the cast recording a lot. And I have some questions. I purposely didn't do a lot of research because I wanted something to talk about here with you. So. There's only like nine songs in the show, right? Yep. I listened to the whole thing, like nine songs. That's it. Yeah. And and they each like sing a solo and a couple group songs. Yeah, basically. All right. So how does it work? Because I enjoyed what I listened to. I enjoyed the pop influences that I could pick out. Um, but I don't understand how it works as a show. So you've got to educate me here for a second. Well, here's the funny thing. The first time I listened to it, because my husband sent it to me. So he was like, you're going to love this. And I like listened to um, one song and I was like, I don't like this at all. I don't understand what I'm listening to. Um, and then I actually went and watched a video and I was like, oh, it's funny. Oh, I get it. And so then I actually went back and listened to the whole cast album. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And I cried. I actually cried because I I then had it I then like I had a moment where I was like oh I get it this is about and I think it was because I actually heard the lyric um where they talk uh they're one of the songs where they say in his story mm. and then the next line rhymes with history and I was like wow that is impactful to me there's a lot of layers to just that moment. Um, and I actually went through like this whole guilty phase of like, I didn't know about any of these women and I should have. And they did all these things and it was silly. But <laughs> I, I actually I fell in love with it because it's um, 
it's about these women, granted, a few hundred years later, taking back their stories, taking back their contribution to society that has been lost to the history books, right? And has been completely overshadowed by this man who, at his core, was kind of a terrible human. So um, it just, it it warmed my heart and it made me want to be a part of it so badly. She's crying, ladies and gentlemen. She's actually tearing up. Oh, my gosh. If Um, anyone is listening, I really want to do this show. I'll come and audition. I'll be your swing. So first, I mean, I have comments, but first, who do you want to play? Because I kept listening and I was like, okay, which one is Christina imagining herself as? I mean, I think that for me, um, I really want to play Catherine Howard. I love them all. And there's a lot of fun. Each of them has such a unique story and such a unique sound and they really utilize like they kind of do with Hamilton where you know everyone has their own sound based on a pop icon that's the same thing that they do with this show which I love um and it's one of the reasons why I was like I I would actually really want to be a swing for this show because then I get to do all of them right well I was hearing I mean I was hearing a little Beyonce I was hearing a little Adele I was hearing a little Britney a little Avril Lavigne like It was all over the place and listening to it. And I actually I appreciate it a lot because not every song I have some gripes, but a lot of them do sound very close to contemporary pop music and not 20 years ago, which happens a lot when you write pop musicals. You know what I mean? Even Hamilton blasphemy sounds like maybe late 90s, early 2000s, as opposed to 2016 a lot of the times. Uh, So I did appreciate that a little bit about six is that some of it felt a lot fresher than I think we've seen on the theater scene for a while. And made it work. I I have a really hard time with certain pop musicals and they try to be so... They try to make it sound like a pop album to the point where I'm like, what's the story? What are we talking about? Right. And they did not do that with this. The writers it, were so smart and the story about how this show came to be is one of my favorites. <laughs> because it was just too two people at university who loved these stories and they were like, let's write a musical out of oh, nowhere. Really? Yeah, literally that was it. And then they were like, well, we'll cat, we'll do a cast and we'll put it together and we'll just take it to the Edinburgh festival. Right. Okay. So they take it to the Edinburgh festival. Someone with money sees it and they're like, Oh, this is a thing. Okay. And so they set them up with people who are experienced and, you know, a team behind it. And, uh, the, the two original creators, even though they're, I think that when this first all started, they were like 22, 23, had no ex- professional experience in the theater. And they like got paired with epic director and epic music supervisor and like completely amped up this show. Um, and so the cast album actually is the original cast from the Edinburgh Festival. So oh, not cool. the original West End cast. Oh, cool. Fun fact. Um but yeah, and then they just were like, well, this is such a great show and it's like a rock concert, so we can send it anywhere. And so they put it on ships and they sent it on tour and they did all these things while it was still playing on the West End. And like when the final song happens, they tell everybody to take out their phones and film it and post it. And I'm like, this is so good. This is the direction we need to be going with musical theater. We need to make it. We need to make it accessible. Everything else is. You know, it's definitely um, it's definitely become a viral sensation. And and it's cool that the producers have embraced that as opposed to not like other things that pop up online and people are like, oh, no, you're not supposed to do that. Um, No, it was fun to listen to. And I'm excited to learn more about it. Uh, I sat through all the parts of Wolf Hall on Broadway, many hours of this story. Um, And nine songs sounds much more enjoyable than Wolf Hall parts, all the parts. And. Uh, I was cool. You know, I went to London a couple years ago for um, New Year's all by myself. Uh, and I went to the Tower of London and I got to see where Anne got beheaded and all the things. So it's like history alive. Six the musical. Well, and I'm looking forward to the day that it's six queens. Mm. I'm just saying you get six drag queens to do that show. I think it would be spectacular. Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, there are only few like from the show that can sing, but from Drag Race, but sure. But we've got a bunch. Um, right. um, 
I don't know. Do we need to talk about what you listened to this week? I am really excited to tell you about what I listened okay, to. This so week. then I'm going to properly ask you. All right. So, Christina, what did you listen to this week? I hope it's not six. No, I'm really excited to tell you guys. My brother-in-law sent me this amazing album by a group called Punk Rock Factory. They're on Spotify. Okay. Go check them out. We'll be sure to put the link in uh, the on the website. But they just Podcast came comment out. section. Yes, in the comment section. They came out in December with this amazing album. Uh, and it's a bunch of punk rock covers of Disney songs. Oh, wow. Oh, no, it's so good. Oh, you have to send that, Christina. It's so good. And uh, my favorite was the first one that popped up was Let It Go. And I was like, man, the next time I audition for Elsa, I'm going to go in there and sing it like this. This is how I'm going to do it from now on. Was it a female or was it a male? No, it was a man. But he did it in the he did it in the original key, I think. Oh, wow. It may be slightly lower, but it's so funny. And they also do want to build a snowman. And oh, like, they do two Frozen. They oh, my god! They do gosh. Frozen. Uh, they do A Whole New World, but the album is called A Whole New Worst. Okay. Like, brought worst. <laughs> it's so good, you guys. You have to go check it out. They're an English punk rock group, and I'm obsessed. Obsessed. Okay. So, before we jump in, we kind of have to uh, go over the clues for this week, don't we, Christina? Yes, please. So, the first one, which we gave at the end of the last episode, was that this musical is based on an MGM movie musical. And our next clue was on Twitter, and those were lyrics from the cut song, Jumpin' In. Right, which was followed by our Instagram clue, clue number three, which was a picture of Elliot the Dragon from Pete's Dragon, because the same songwriters from Pete's Dragon also wrote the new songs to this musical on Broadway. And then we had that really awesome blog post from you um, that was all about actors who have revived their roles from the movie musical on stage. Right, because that actually kind of sort of happened in this musical. But anyway, that leads us to our fifth and final clue uh, that we're going to give to you today. Uh, And it is this. This musical traditionally and iconically dresses the couples in the same color costumes as each other. Now, it is not the only musical to do this ever, uh, but it's pretty iconic. And when we tell you what it is in just a second, you'll think to yourself, oh, yeah, they totally do the green one and the orange ones and the yellow ones. All right. Are we ready to tell them what it is? I'm so ready. Okay, drum roll, please. Seven Seven brides for for seven seven brothers. Now, this is actually pretty exciting because as a flop, this show is quite popular today. Um, I know a lot of people who love this musical, even more people who love the movie it's based on. Uh, The movie is considered one of the top 100 uh, best movie musicals ever made. And I think at one point it even made the top 10 list, uh, which is crazy. It came back in 19... out in 1954 uh yeah it came out in 1954 right so christina have you seen the movie yeah i saw the movie when i was a kid um it was as we talked about in the first episode that was really all i ever knew about musical theater growing up were the golden age of movies movie musicals um and so i saw seven brides when i was a kid it wasn't one that really stuck with me like things like singing in the rain sound of music um any of those but yeah no i definitely saw it when i was younger yeah, so it it's not one of my favorites either. Um, I think, you know, for our listeners, you're going to discover uh, that I n- know lots and lots about all the musicals, but I don't necessarily love a lot of the Golden Age Hollywood musicals. And I know that's blasphemous to say, but they're not my favorite things in the world, but I can appreciate them. Uh, so I had seen Seven Brides before, and I went back and rewatched it uh, in preparation for today's episode. And, uh, you know, it's it's a fun, goofy, uh, you know, kind of, I, w- I won't say paint by numbers, but it's it's a pretty standard fare for the golden age of Hollywood. Um, and it's based on a classic story, actually, about some naughtiness with the Sabine women in the Roman culture uh, and a story that was written about them and eventually transitioned into the movie, uh, basically about this dude named Adam who has six brothers 
and they <laughs> live alone in the woods in Oregon They're all territory. Lumberjacks. It's like the Oregon Trail out there. And uh, there's just there's so much going on and none of these it's this is misogyny the musical <laughs> it really is <laughs> because these men are like we can't do anything by ourselves we need a woman and so Adam just one day not because he wants to be in love not because anything be, but only because he wants someone to cook and clean for the seven of them goes into town and is like to all the women he's like I'm gonna marry you I'm gonna marry you and they're all like not into it so until it's like he, Snow White and the seven dwarves a little bit but a lot more misogyny um he basically finds this woman millie who is like yeah i'll do it i'll marry you and then goes and lives with these people and then was like oh i'm gonna make your brothers respectable people and introduce them to women but you know they're still kind of pretty awful human beings so they end up kidnapping like all the other women and bringing them back, and there's an avalanche, and the women get trapped there. But then they end up falling in love with the men, and we're supposed to be okay with that by the end, and they get married. That's Yeah, in a giant seven-person wedding. <laughs> and there's a lot of dancing, and there's a lot of like classic Golden Age songs in it. And it was really popular when it came out. Uh, it was. The... I mean, it was up for Best fi- Picture next to uh, On the Waterfront, which ended oh. up winning the Oscar. But Which is... Which is insane because it was a B movie. Like they were making um, the studio MGM was making Brigadoon and Rosemary at the time, and they had put all of their money into that. And they said for Seven Brides, like you get nothing. And so the director he wanted to film it on location in Oregon, and he's like, no, you can film it on the back lot. <laughs> and so it's all painted like backgrounds, like The Wizard of Oz. It looks like it was filmed in the 30s, not the 50s. Right. Uh, at what point there's even a uh, a bird that flies into the backdrop in one of the shots they kept in the film. Oh, no. <laughs> um, oh, no. Anytime they're in the wagon, like it's in front of a projection, like uh, like Judy Garland in Meet Me in St. Louis with the trolley right. song, you right. know, and you can notice it. It's not like hidden, you know, <laughs> um, and even the dubbing when the women sing, they all weirdly like turn into sopranos. <laughs> of course, they're speaking voices. Even though a lot of them do their own singing, it's like, wait a second, that that doesn't transition well at all. But despite that, it ended up being more popular than both of those other movies. And like you said, nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, it was. And it apparently it lost by a close margin as well. I mean, I think one of the big reasons why the movie was so successful at the time is they were in the middle of McCarthyism. There was a lot going on where we had just... It's, we were still dealing with getting out of World War II, but then there's this ramp up happening to Vietnam War um, right. and everything that went into that. And like, so there's all this horribleness going on in the world at the time. And I think people just genuinely wanted a campy, feel good, watch everything work out. It's going to be OK. You can find someone to do your laundry kind of film, you know? And, and- and dancing like i mean the dancing and all is, the dancing michael kidd's choreo which michael kidd choreographed the film famous choreographer i mean these guys are jumping off houses and barns yeah. and they were very ac- acrobatic in the film axes and there's a lot going on in it and people in america was obsessed, obsessed with westerns in the 1950s too so i right. think you know this being about settlers in the old west i mean i don't consider oregon the old west anymore but uh, it was once upon a time. It struck a chord. Uh, if my grandpa were still alive, he loved westerns. I don't think he really loved musicals. I think this may have been, uh, you know, a, a favorite movie. Yeah, of his. this would have been the one that he actually fell in love with. This one. So we had the movie, and then we waited like twenty years, right, for the stage show to become a thing. Right. Well, so it wasn't. I mean, it seems so common nowadays to be like, "Oh, we're going to put a movie on stage." Or even we're going to take a movie musical and put it on stage. But in the 70s, when they did this, it wasn't really a thing. This is before 42nd Street made the transfer, before Singing in the Rain, before Newsies, before Xanadu. I mean, before a lot of them, you know, there's a big list, Meet Me in St. Louis, all of these. None of those had been done yet. I think the only one that may have happened before this famously was Gigi, which will be a future episode of this podcast because it did not do well um just like the initial stage transfer of seven brides 
Yeah, and they did a tour first and didn't even finish the tour. Right, and the tour was pretty epic because in 1978 when they did it, they got Howard Keel and Jane Powell, the original stars of the movie, to come back and do it on stage. How much which, money do you think they offered them? I, I don't Were know how... Were they just bored? I don't know how big their like box office, you know, whatever was in the 70s, but I imagine they got paid well, right? Like... Yeah, but to do it 20 years later, or 24, 24. years. Yeah. Oh, man. Right. So th- it launched it launched on this pre-Broadway tour, and it was billed as a pre-Broadway tour, and it ended up canceling, like, half its cities. Um, it was in, like, gossip columns in the newspapers that the stars, Jane Powell and and uh, Howard Keel, were fighting with each other. They were fighting with the director. They didn't like the vision that it took. Um, they, uh, from what I read, the script to that initial version was very close to the screenplay, but they did bring in new songwriters. So it's not um, the Gene DePaul, uh, Johnny Mercer. I, there are songs from the movie written by them uh, in the stage show, but they brought in Al Kasha and Joel Hirshhorn, uh, who had written Peach Dragon, which is one of my favorite movies uh, for the Disney company. So um, and they had written some pop songs that were quite famous and won awards, Academy Awards. They came in to flesh out the score. And um, yeah, not everyone was happy with, I guess, some of the additional things that they added and maybe some of the things they cut out of um, from the film, because not everything from the film made it to the Broadway version. Right. Or this tour, because this tour is separate because there were two tours before it got to Broadway. It's so So, strange. (laughs) Yeah, this one, this one had a lot of extra songs. Um, I actually found a recording of it that I maybe if we're lucky might post some things from uh check out how, myfavoriteflop.com and for some special secrets from bobby's cabinet that sounds really weird uh, <laughs> um but yeah the the new songs look pete's dragon is one of my favorite disney films and i love the score to that movie and a lot of the new stuff by al and joel is very reminiscent of what they wrote for pete's dragon so i really enjoyed it uh howard kill sounds just like he does in the movie Interesting with Jane Powell. The movie is so crazy because she's this spunky kind of like uh, mock feminism for the time period that it's, uh, you know. Yeah. So she's a spunky thing. But then when she sings in the movie, she goes into the soprano, which is just. And it's very melodic and it's very like whimsical and wispy. (laughs) So the, the new songs that they wrote for her, she's belting them. But I kid you not, when it goes to the songs from the movie, Christina. Back to the soprano. And you're like, why? 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 And so some That's songs she's confusing. belting. <laughs> and then sometimes she's singing the soprano. Oh, uh, man. I don't know. It sounds good. The orchestra sounds good. The rest of the cast sound good. Um, it sounds like a fun time to me, but well, it failed. When it, went, when it actually got to Broadway, it was 1982, right? Mm-hmm. And that was not a good year for Broadway. <laughs> no, in general. So like in general. <laughs> seven brothers... Seven Brides or Seven Brothers aside, 1982 was not the year to be opening musicals in New York. Because... No, the only musical that actually did well was Cats. And obviously it did well for, what, 15 years? Right. But that was the only... I mean, But that was talking... the only one. Uh, early 80s, it was Cats. Little Shop happened off-Broadway sometime around then and played for about five or six. And the original 42nd Street. But that's... That's it. It's like a giant dead Yeah, but 42nd Street wasn't for another couple of years, right? 84, 85? Oh, gosh. I don't know the exact year. It's not a show yeah. that we're going to do on this podcast. It's Because not. it successfully did what Seven Brides did not do, which was... It did not. Well, and the thing is, is it's a very different time. 1954, you have people like Marilyn marrying Joe DiMaggio, and it's all, you know, it's all that kind of um, woman finds a good man feel in society and you want to get married and you want to do all these things but then fast forward to 1982 you're in the middle of the feminist movement you have women who are putting on power suits and don't want to get married don't want a man don't want any of these things and you're trying to sell a show that's all about (laughs) kidnapping women to get them to (laughs) marry you i just Uh, like it's not good timing Right. Well, it, we just had Evita. You know, Evita just happened on Broadway. And it's a story about a woman that could only be stopped by cancer. You know what I mean? Like, it's the only thing that could stop this woman from taking over the world. And then, 
oh, here's this musical about kidnapping women and making them marry you. Broadway. I'm just saying, like, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't a good time to try and do this show. Right. Well, so this Broadway production starred pop singer Debbie Boone, which, you know, when we go through the annals of like, why did this flop with shows? You know, movie musical to Broadway transfers, maybe not the most successful thing in the world. Also, maybe not putting a pop singer with no acting credits in, in the starring role of your Broadway. To be fair, of, of Broadway musicals, this one didn't require a ton of acting chops, right? For her. Sure. I mean, singing in, in a legit soprano may have been I think that was a bigger out for challenge. Her. I think that was out. I think they cut that after Jane Powell left the show. Uh, any any recording I've listened to post that 1978 tour, uh, there's no more soprano that happens for I mean, that's the character fair, of Millie. The way I would think of it is that you'd want that sound that you get from Kiss Me Kate. Yeah, like about Kate mixy, and Kiss Me Kate. Yeah, a mixy belt. Like, yeah. it's not it's not a soprano role, uh, especially if you're going to amp up the feminism and make her more of a... Uh, give her more of a reason to exist than the movie does, uh, mm. which the stage show does try to do. But Debbie Boone um, led this production off of the heels of a second national tour. So the first national closed. They com did a completely new production for Debbie Boone. Uh, it toured before it came to Broadway, and it was the tour that came to Broadway. How long which did it tour? 15 months. Oh, wow. 15 months. So, so it started, like... and it was really successful on tour, which is why they pushed it to Broadway. Uh, because people do love Seven Brides or Seven Brothers. So this tour with Debbie Boone was wildly successful. They moved it to Broadway. It had gotten great reviews on the tour. And um, when it opened on Broadway, Broadway critics were not a fan. They're like, number one, they didn't like the idea of movie to movie musical to Broadway transfer. Uh, two, they did not like the idea that it was a stop on the essentially on the national tour. Uh, Frank Rich in The New York Times famously ripped it to shreds. Uh, and criticized so much about it. But a big thing was the sets look like touring sets. It looks like a national tour. It's not nice enough to be on Broadway. Oh. Uh, he also had sassy things to say about the hair color of the men. And so in the, <laughs> in the movie, I don't know if you remember this, Christina, but the entire uh, Pontipi, I think that's how you say their names, clan, sure. the brothers. Yeah. Uh, they all have red hair. And that was done right. on purpose because that was the only way in the big dance numbers for people to be able to delineate between these are the suitors and these are the brothers so they're like we're gonna make that entire family redheads and that's what's gonna happen and apparently they did it on broadway but according to frank rich in the new york times the hairstylist must have quit halfway through the dye job because he said that they all ended up looking like circus clowns oh no. <laughs> so he said that about all the brothers in the show that they had crazy red hair um criticized the set said it looked like a touring show didn't think it was necessary. Complimented the new songs by by Alan Joel. I mean, they were nominated for Tonys. They were nominated for for best uh, best Original score, score, right? Yeah, but also backhanded compliment, being like because they had won Oscars for songs like you know, "There's Got to Be a Morning After" from the Poseidon Adventure, and right. I mean, they had written pop songs, and so there was kind of a backhanded thing there. But it was essentially thought that Frank Rich's review closed the show because. It opened on July 8th, 1982, and it closed on July 11th. Three oh. days, five performances. So Ouch. that review, like, nail in the coffin for this show. Well, and, and I, I went and looked because I wanted to see, for a show like this, your audience is probably going to be older, right? They're going to be the people who remember the movie from their youth and how much they loved it. And they're like, oh, yes, I get to see it again on stage. And so I went and looked at like what tourism was like, because as we as some of you may or may not know, but Broadway relies on middle America tourism coming right. to see shows all the time. And so I went and looked at what the tourism was like in New York in 1982. And apparently it was doing just fine. In fact, oh. they were up in numbers from the previous year. And so I, which was fascinating to me because I was like, well, maybe it was because tourism was down. So you didn't get the older generation from middle America coming to see it. Right. But I mean, to be fair, I don't know all the statistics on, you know, age ranges of tourists, but. Well, it's interesting you say that because the cast felt the same way 
that this show should have done well. You know they protested, right? No. Wait, oh gosh. I, I'm shocked you didn't see this. I uh, didn't. So, so it closed and they blamed Frank Rich. So the cast, minus Debbie Boone, she wanted nothing to do with this. Fair. They went to the New York Times and they protested for several days. And they 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 held up picket signs and said, like, you hate family entertainment. He criticized our hair. Like, uh, and and then, oh gosh, one of the ones I read, because the New York Times wrote an article about it. And one of the one of the protesters signs said something like, how many times can a family see Annie over and over again? Oh my god. And again and again and again. So they felt that the New York Times, Frank Rich, had killed family entertainment because this review had closed their show. Because they wow. thought this was this was meant to be the new family experience on Broadway. Whoa. Yeah. That's, so that's crazy, right? Like it is crazy. I, I don't think I've ever heard of that happening before no i mean people i mean i've had shows close i mean you get upset when a show closes sure but but i've never heard of someone pro like a cast protesting like in the new york times too it's not like oh we're gonna protest outside the theater like nah (laughs) we're gonna we're We're gonna gonna show up at your door excuse me mr rich you killed you killed the family that's what you did. So, you know, most shows would die. So they really actually loved what they were doing. I mean, if they loved it enough to go protest in front of the New York Times building, the oh. cast must have really thought it was the bee's knees. Well, OK, so in, in to promote the Broadway show, Debbie Boone and the cast did a TV special in 1981 or 1982 called One Step Closer. It features nothing from Seven Brides, but a lot of cheesy 80s pop songs. And they look like they really enjoy being together. So I, I, I think mean, it was Maybe an it was experience. just a magical cast. I don't, I don't know. I might post that on our website as well, ladies and gentlemen. Please it's do. quite magical. But they're like, yeah, mm, we're friends. But then Debbie Poon didn't show up for the protest. So I mean, I've been in I've been in a few flops in my day. and. Sometimes you end up with a cast that you just love, even though the show is just crap. And you're like, it's okay, because I made lifelong friends. And that's what this sounds like. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and 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 normally with this kind of experience, I mean, look, a failed national tour, a kind of successful one, and then a really huge flop on Broadway with protests and things like that. That's usually a prescription for we're never going to hear from this show again. Usually. Seven Brides, based on a popular movie, that wasn't the case because it took it took a second, but in 1985, uh, it finally played uh, in the West End and was, I think, pretty successful there. Uh, it was successful enough to at least get a, a cast album finally because they didn't record the Broadway production. Uh, oh, so they the didn't, first... even though they toured for 15 months. Yeah, there was no Broadway cast recording, but they did record the London production in 1985. From what I can tell, it's very similar to what ended up on Broadway, which is mostly songs from the movie and a couple of the new ones. They had cut a lot of the new songs by the time the Debbie Boone production had happened. Mm. A lot of them were gone. And uh, that's pretty much what opened in London in 1985. Uh, And like, I think it was a moderate success. It played at the Old Vic, which is a famous theater. And then I think they released it for licensing because that's when you start to see productions kind of pop up. All over Regionally. the place. Yeah. Uh, and people do it. For a long time, they're doing that Broadway version as, as maybe flawed as it might be, which they finally got around to revising it in 2005, was I think the first major revision of the show uh, with the creative team kind of coming back. Uh, and that was at the Goodspeed Opera House. And they revised the script the or the score as well? Both. So they both got kind of, um, they both got kind of updated. The Goodspeed production wanted to go away from the corniness of the movie and make Mm. it more of a gritty tale about, you know, being in the Oregon frontier in the back territory, you know, and really kind of a serious down to earth, strip back the orchestrations and make them much more um, folksy. And they put in some of the songs that had been cut by the time it had come to Broadway. I think they famous. No, well, some that were cut from the film and then some that were cut from that 78 tour with the original stars of the film. And um, and that production starred Jacqueline Pierre O'Donovan and Burke Moses and was famously choreographed by Patty Colombo, which has done a lot of productions. I love Patty Colombo. Well, like this is one of Patty's 
shows. Like she right. didn't just. I've work auditioned on this. for for her in this show because she did the La Mirada production. She does it everywhere since yeah. 2005. It's it's like her show. Yeah. Yeah. So they put some 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 cut songs in and fixed it up and people really liked it. I think it was pretty successful for them. Uh, and then the next revision came uh, two years later, I think. Uh, it was like, I, I want to feel like it was either a co-pro or a tour. I think it's kind of like what you did at, was it Ogunquit and North Shore? Uh, no, it was Ogunquit and Gateway. Oh, I think it's a similar kind of thing, but it was like Paper Mill, North Shore, Theater Under the Stars in Houston. And uh, they, they do did that this... a lot. It makes it cheaper to do. It yeah. makes it a lot. It, it makes it a lot more affordable for the houses to do big productions with really awesome sets and really awesome actors. Um, oh, they kind of all go in on on it financially, which helps a lot. Yeah. And so they all teamed together on this new revisal that took what the Goodspeed production did and hybridized it with what they had done in the film. So it was a little bit of slapstick, a little bit serious, and it actually almost didn't happen. Uh, they were working on it, and Paper Mill almost went completely out of business. Oh, no. And the show actually is considered to be like the driving force of how they actually stayed in business. It was so successful wow. for them. So that I mean, it actually I could saved see it being Paper Mill. way more successful regionally, again, because you're, you're closer to the communities of people who fell in love with the film, right? Right. So you're closer to those communities. You're more likely to get them to come and spend their hard-earned cash for it than you are in a place like New York, especially at the time when they were trying to do the do the Broadway production. Um, right. So that that makes sense to me. And if they've made revisions and and they make it as campy as they can, and just play into the world, you know, I I would think that that would be you come in willing to give into the world that's being set up in front of you as an audience member, don't you? Right. Well, yeah, I think this is a show that, um, I, you know, I think it's popular. I think the movie is is timeless. And, you know, so I think it does get enjoyed by new generations over and over again. You know, parents and grandparents show it to younger generations. And so it's, I think, always part of people's psyche. So I think the show will continue to to remain popular. But at the heart of it, at the heart of what's so great about the movie, what works really well is Michael Kidd's choreography, right? And so as long as, as there's a big focus on the choreography and really fantastic choreography, um, I think that I think it has last ability. And it hasn't been on Broadway since the original production. I think we're due for a revival. Well, I think it could and happen. Most of my dancer friends who have been in the show, they love doing it because of the choreography oh, a yeah. couple of them have done the pat done it with patty colombo and it is so much fun at someone who's been in the audition room for it i doing her choreography is so much fun it is so hard but it is so much fun and there's so much partnering and things that you don't always get to do in a show but because the show is built to be a dancer singer show it really allows for the feel good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I think I think that as long as the show evolves to a point with the times, you know, it's got the big M word attached to it. So, you know, post especially post Me Too, how does Seven Brides exist in a post Me Too world? Mm. And they've they've worked on it, you know, in the stage show. Millie has songs and, and she has dialogue that she's making this choice. There's a reason that she's attracted to, uh, you know, qualities of Adam. You know what I mean? She doesn't yeah. want the kind of men she finds in the town. So she's made this choice to marry him. Her big conundrum is I married you, not your brothers. Like, right. Let me deal with you. I know what I'm getting with you. I don't want that drama. So Which I, I think bet a lot of ladies can relate to. Right. I think that that's that's I it has some feminism in it. You know, I think it's hard to overcome the kidnapping thing. <laughs> I mean, that is, it, again, it's one of those things. Whenever you do these um, golden age musicals, even things like Oklahoma, I mean, you just have to accept that there are certain aspects of the show that are a part of the era they were created in. Right. And you, you have to just, as the audience, you accept that and you say, that's okay because of when this takes place. Right. Um, and just give in to the feel good aspects of of a show. 
Right. Well, and with classics, I think it's easy to do that. But that doesn't mean that they don't try. The last revival of Carousel tried to change things. And it's like, look, we know he hits Julie. Like, that's right. a crucial spoiler part. Alert. Of, spo- spoiler alert. <laughs> it's a crucial part of that story. So you can change and remove dialogue, but it's still there. And then when you do that with Rodgers and Hammerstein, it's like, well, if you're going to do Carousel, embrace it, warts and all. And do carousel, you know, because it's worth preserving. It it is a is a piece of history. It's problematic, but history is messy. And so we I think as we've learned with shows like Hamilton and Six, you know, it may have been taboo to talk about a lot of the things that are addressed in those shows, but we're removed from them so much in time at this point that it's like now we can actually talk about them honestly and truthfully. And the unfortunate thing about the world that Seven Brides exist in is especially in the frontier people didn't always marry for love you know there was there was a lot of work to be done and for men and women different kinds and in in a lot of a lot of it very sexist i think from a 2021 lens but at the time you know there were babies to be raised and there were babies to be had because the work that you had on your farm or your homestead was your legacy you know it yeah. wasn't like you could go and hire people you had to have kids to work on the farm. Yeah, and, which is a completely foreign concept, I think, to right. our generation. Right. So I think you can we can I think we can smooth out some of the really rough parts and Seven Brides can still exist. I just hope nobody does like Seven Brides 2020. We're gonna some <laughs> oh, musical no. about a, a <laughs> abducting girls from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Like that's not what we're gonna do. No. Well, and it's I always like to think of musicals. Now, could a musical that didn't work, would it be better as a play? And I'm not sure about this one. No, this has to be a musical. I, this would be. <laughs> can you imagine a play about kidnapping women and an avalanche? And If it, it didn't would be have bit... dancing and singing, I don't know if it would uh, even get past, you know, the first rewrite. Oh, it would have to be like a checkoff experience oh, or something. Yeah. But it would be really dark, like, but weirdly funny too. Yeah, so, it's like the sea, the seagull. Yeah, seven brides for seven brothers meets the seagull. Seven brides for seven seagulls. We're bringing it to. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this is definitely one where I don't think a play version, but I think that's actually something interesting to bring up. In fact, I think the next two shows that we do on this this podcast are ones that it might be curious to ask that same question, Christina, because oh, I think I'm gonna. No, I think that those qualify. I don't know about our last two. A play about Maryland sounds really boring. Well, you brought up in the Maryland episode, you did say, but I, I wonder I what a... would happen if it was a play. Like End of the Rainbow, though. So I had to have right. a concert at the end. It still so, had like, to have some sort of music. Had to have music. And play with uh, tab- music. A taboo nobody wants to see about a play about Boy George. Like You we can't. Need... Like, no. It's Boy George. You have to have the music in it. Can you can you imagine Jersey Boys with no songs? Having done Jersey Boys, um, no. Considering like even your staging and your scenes are timed out to the music. <laughs> Who loves you, pretty baby? No, there's oh, there's man. no way. So no, no, not every story works as a play. I don't think this one does. I think you need jumping off barns. I think you need swinging axes and fancy dresses and lots of lots of high kicks they they have to be all the high kicks i'm always so impressed by women in those films when they are doing those massive jumps and they're kicking their face and then they're like doing attitude turns in long dresses with petticoats with petticoats i have worn some weird stuff on stage and had to dance in it before but man dancing in a petticoat guys let me tell you is one of the worst (laughs) worst challenges it's so hard and those women in the film especially just make it look effortless like it's no big deal like it's a dress made out of feathers well that's because i mean you know who plays dorcas in the film right no julie numar who was a cat woman so i mean she she eventually became a cat woman so I mean, she was Dorcas, so no wonder she can kick to her, you know, whatever. Well, and then, of course, in Seven Brides, the movie, there's that one actor who's not a dancer. The one oh, brother. Right. Well, the movie, you know, it's it's so interesting because the movie was set up 
I know we covered this already, but it was like a B movie. The studio didn't want to put any money behind it or anything. So it has a lot of weird, like a bird flies into the thing. Like, you know, they have an actor in a lead role in a movie musical. I'm just going to sit. I'm just going to exit the scene. No, but to be fair, in almost all classic musicals, there is that because there's that separation, isn't there? This was probably one of the first movie musicals where a large amount of the cast was, were all triple threats. Right. But I think if they had more money, I don't know. I, you know, one of the brothers, I forget, I think he plays uh, Erephim or Ephraim, Ephraim, Jacques D'Ambois plays it. Um, and he was on loan or something from the American Ballet Theater and he couldn't finish mo- making the movie. So <laughs> towards the end of the film, uh, he plays in the green shirt, which I also love about this because they color code the brothers <laughs> and and the, the there's too many of them, the, the brides, they color code them. So he's in green towards the end of the film. <laughs> He hides, they have a different actor. It's not Jacques D'Ambois in green, but they hide his face all the time. So he stands behind a staircase during a big, during the scene where they're waiting for, spoiler alert, Millie to give birth to Adam's baby. And the girls are running down the stairs. And there are like, so not only is there this wide shot with all the brothers being seen and then green shirt, because it's not Jacques D'Ambois behind the staircase, can't see him. They do cutaways to like, here's Gideon. And here's a group of the other brothers. And then here's two more. They never cut to him <laughs> because they can't show its face because it's not actually Jacques D'Ambois anymore. So oh, for the last no. like 15 minutes of the film, Jacques D'Ambois is just not Toodles. there. He's Someone not else, there. some extra in a green shirt. Is just oh, man. Hiding. Look, I, I feel like uh, COVID making movies and tv shows those same things will be happening (laughs) oh i can't wait to come back and watch all the magic from 2020 and 2021 after this is all over yeah Uh, we will never forget right okay so this show clearly flopped on broadway and the initial broadway tour that got canceled also flopped you know that didn't even make it to broadway the second tour did it closed in three days five performances but I think this show's legacy is kind of outlived any, you know, negative status. Everybody does it. In fact, I think everybody if, if, does it. I think we might be have listeners out there who are probably like, why are they talking about Seven Brides? I did it at my high school <laughs> or I did it. I, you know, it's done all the time in, in major theaters. The Muni uh, is supposed to do it as one of their shows post COVID. They announced it a couple last month, I think. And back in December, they announced that it would be one of their summer shows this year. You know, I so mean, knock on wood, it happens. Sense. It's a it's a big show. It brings in a good crowd. It's happy go lucky. So it definitely makes sense as to why you'd want to. It's kind of that's going to be interesting, actually, because the film came out in this perfect storm of when the world was on fire. Right. And hopefully the Muni gets to do it in the summer. And it's going to come out during this time when the world was on fire and people need to escape. And so maybe it will be wildly successful. And who knows? Maybe it'll push it to have another a Broadway revival. You know, I mean, the, the Muni has sent stuff to New York before and uh, it's outdoors, isn't it? It's an outdoor amphitheater, right? It is. Yeah. Uh, perfect for this show. I mean, honestly, when I think of Seven Brides and it's not just because it's in Utah, I associate this musical with all of my Mormon friends. And I and I don't know why it has <laughs> nothing to do with the fact that it's Seven Brides or Seven Brothers, but it's because it's a, the whole pioneer thing. And I think that's why they love it as well, because that's a big part of Mormon history is that, you know, they were pioneers that traveled to Utah and, um, you know, it kind of has that pioneer territory kind of stuff, barn raising, yeah. all of that, you know, um, all my all my. All my Mormon friends from college love Seven Brides. That's all I'm going to say. No, but I think that's important, isn't it? You want to you. Certain shows speak to certain cultures. Right. You know, Little on the Roof speaks to a certain culture and that's okay. But Catholics really love that one, too. It's really weird. I just I don't know how to explain it. I mean, good values, right? It's all about tradition. 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 Well, Uh, that makes sense. Yeah, so I, I brought up Utah because Tuacon, I just thought it makes like the most sense for Seven Brides. I bet they've done it. I would guess they beautiful outdoor yeah. amphitheater in Utah. I mean, they made they did Big River there and they actually had a raging river on stage. That's insane. I know. They do really cool stuff there. Well, this All has right, been well, a really interesting conversation, I think. Yeah, well, yeah. So this is interesting because 
the last two shows that we've done, I think, were big flops, you know? Mm. Big flops. Marilyn's never been revived outside that dinner theater. And Taboo, uh, I think Taboo will be revived at some point, you know? Um, because it's Boy George and the music is fantastic. And, you know, it's just got the Rosie O'Donnell thing. I think she owns the rights. But I think Taboo will probably come back. But, you know, epic failure on Broadway. This show was, but like I said, I, I don't I don't think it's a flop anymore. I think it's very much I think this is our first one where it's really had that Cinderella story, you know, where yeah. it may have had a disaster run on Broadway, but it's kind of outlived the flop status. And we're going to discover that there's going to be shows we do on this um, podcast, ladies and gentlemen, that you're going to question why we're talking about them. Uh, and it really is because our criteria is super simple. In order to be spoken about on this show, it had to either not make it to Broadway or the West End, but it was supposed to, or uh, lose all its money, you know, or most of it. Like, if yeah. it didn't make its money back, it flopped. And so Seven Brides, popular musical around the world, especially in the United States and the UK, uh, but flopped on Broadway. It did. And it will live on. It will continue to be used, as we talked about with the Muni doing it. It will happen over and over and over again regionally. Well, that's our show, ladies and gents. For more information about Seven Brides or Seven Brothers, uh, including links to both cast albums that are available, because there are two now, and um, some other things, head to our website at www.myfavoriteflop.com. And be sure to check us out on all of our social media platforms. We're everywhere. At My Favorite Flop. We're going to be giving you clues for next episode. All right, Bobby, we got to give them the first clue. You ready? Well, since it's happening close to Valentine's Day, I got a good one. The clue okay. for episode four is Valentine's Day specific. It's a musical about communism. Oh, they're both red. Exactly. They're both red. That makes kind sense. Of. That makes sense. All right, ladies and gentlemen, um, like us, love us, share us, tell all your friends about us. And we can't wait to see you back here again in two weeks for another episode of My, My Favorite Flop. And don't forget, be like the Dodger and consider yourself at home. Bye, Bye everybody. everybody.